right, so in this ancient document from 2017, <laughs> our maps, have any of you ever seen something like this before? You've seen, have you seen this before? You, you've all seen, have you ever used one of these before? Some of you have actually used them before. Okay, what do you use these maps for? What do you think? Finding your destination. Find your destination, yes. Anything else? What else could you use it for, maybe? Any ideas? Visiting your shop is. There you go. Maybe where our shop is, a big city. Yeah, any other ideas? Um, if you want to get to a different country, that's a great answer. This map has directions to Mexico or Canada. Would you like to go either place? Oh, you'd like to go to both, maybe. Not today, maybe, but eventually. All right, yes. The fastest way, yeah. There's a cool feature on the back of this map. It actually tells you how long it takes to get to different places. It's kind of a cool thing. You know, I thought it was kind of funny. You know, we, this morning, our, our pic, or the words weren't on the screen, so we had to use the old hymn books. Back in the day, this is how people actually found their way around places sometimes. All right. Well, God's word, Psalm 84, we're going to be looking at, and you guys will look at something different maybe in KidVenture, but God's word gives us like a map, a direction for where we might go. So, all right. Thanks, KidVenture. You guys can head on out of here. See ya. Divide the forces here. Send them on their way. All right. True story. This, this is a legit map from my state farm agent. You can get them there yourself. All right, we're going to talk about maps a little bit today, about how we get from here to there, but mainly what we want to talk about today, I'll set this right here, mainly what we'd like to talk about today is how God is giving us direction. And a question I would have for you this morning is, how far are you from home? How far are you from where you might need to be? Psalm 84 is a message about the pilgrimage or journey to where God is. And it's not necessarily a journey in a car, it's a journey for our hearts. And it starts by knowing where we are, it's about finding our way, and it's about arriving at our destination. I recently had to take a journey myself. Some of you were aware, and I thank you, Bethany, so many of you asked and were praying about my grandmother. My grandmother passed away, and so I went down to Nebraska. And I went with my family. We went down there. I was with my brother, there were all the cousins, you know, the, everybody was there. And my grandma was 94. She had a great life. And someday, maybe I'll get a chance to tell you more about her story. But it's, it, because of how things happened in her life, my family's completely on a different trajectory than it would have been otherwise. Well, we were on our, my brother and I were on our way back from Nebraska, and we ended up in the little town of Wyndham, Minnesota. Has anybody here been to Wyndham, Minnesota? Some of you have been there. It's a, there's a four-lane road that goes through the town. It's an undivided highway, and it was raining that night when I was coming through, and you couldn't hardly see a thing. Have you ever driven on a road at night when it's raining? It's like the lines just are gone. They're washed out. And so probably I was talking with my brother, and I'm driving along, and I may have strayed out of my lane. And I didn't know exactly where I was, but I do know that when the red and blue lights start shining right behind you, you should just pull over. So that's what I did. 
I went ahead and pulled over, and I knew I was in trouble. I had just recently had my car died. I had a, a wonderful car, and it died, so I got a new car. And so they took the old tags, the old plates from the old car, put on the new car. But eh, something happened in the computer, and they didn't get transferred to the new car. All right, well, that can happen. But it said Wisconsin, and I was in Minnesota. So that's another problem. Um, I didn't have the registration in yet from the state of Wisconsin, so I had to hand them this handwritten thing saying, this really is my car, right? My insurance wasn't, my insurance cards from State Farm, that wonderful place, weren't in yet, so I had to hand them a paper copy of my insurance. And I had just renewed my license, so I didn't have a plastic license. <laughs> I had a paper copy of my license. And so I explained to the officer, Honestly, what a, I was just visiting my, see my grandma's funeral in Nebraska. I mean, what, who's going to believe this stuff? Anyways, honest to the truth, that's what happened in Wyndham, Minnesota. Um, the officer was very nice that day, and I walked away without a, he said, try to stay in your lane. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, any journey of significance is sometimes like that, isn't it? You, you have in mind what you will do and where you will go. But I wonder sometimes if maybe the destination where we think we're going is not where it's best and where we must go, it, what's most important. Psalm 84 directs us to think about not so much what we might think is best, but what actually is our best and our best for our hearts. So God speaks to us in Psalm 84 about where our hearts could be. Having a map to know where to go, what we might face, and knowing our destination is what Psalm 84 is about. The title of today's message is, How Far Are We From Home? And it asks the question, how far are we, where, how far are we from where we need to be? So, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 84. Follow along. There will be some verses on the screen but not all the verses, and I think you'll get more from it if you do have a copy of God's Word in front of you. But if you would, I'd like to read with you Psalm 84, just the first few verses here. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. The psalm begins with our hearts. If you have a program this morning, if you want to fill in the blanks, the first blank is hearts. Our hearts. That's where God lives. There's no better place than we might find in this world and in this life. And Psalm 84 is pointing us the best place that a person can be is with God in our hearts and we with Him. A person with God in their hearts and our hearts with God and God with us, even if things are wrong, things are right. The word translated for dwell here is, could be, it's, it's actually usually translated as tabernacle. The people that wrote this psalm 
lived far, far, far after the tabernacle was in existence, but it was basically a, a moving tent of sorts. I, it's, I don't know if we have anything like it today. Uh, a moving way for God to move with his people. The people of Israel had to move from Egypt into the promised land, and God was with them every step of the way, and he moved with them in this moving tent, and they'd pack it up, and they'd set up shop in the next place, and they'd move along. Blessed are those who dwell, who tabernacle, who set up tent, who set up shop in your house, ever singing your praise. Our God has always been with his people. From the ancient of days until now, he's always been moving, helping us move, and he doesn't expect us to go to the temple. He doesn't expect us to go. He is right there with us. And that's where he wants us to be. This theme is repeated in the New Testament. If you read Ephesians chapter 3, and there's just one verse here, it talks about how Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There is no temple in Jerusalem. If you were to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, that would be fine. I'm sure you would gain much from it, but he is right in our hearts as well. So how far are we from home? It starts with knowing our hearts are where God in heaven resides right now. That's where he can dwell. Verse 2, it says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My soul yearns for God to reign in my heart. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. This psalm points to developing a longing for God's presence, for making that space in our life for him, to nurture this with him. It's interesting that for heart development, he doesn't ask how much money we have. How silly of a question is that? Does God need our money? No, he, he uses money and resources to bring the gospel to the world. It'll take some money to send those shoeboxes to the Ukraine. But God doesn't need our money. He uses those resources. He doesn't care our power and our positions, our beautiful homes, our beautiful cars, or whatever we have. He doesn't need those things. But he, he cares about our hearts. And he cares greatly about developing that space in us and being with us. The psalmist writes about the longing he might have for God. A good question to ask this morning might be, where, on the whole range of how much I want something, how much do we want God? If you were to gauge yourself like a scale, one to ten, one to a hundred, I long for God this much. Maybe, maybe it's where it should be. But if you're anything like me, it's, we know it's probably not quite there. We, we know we could be there. It's described in this passage this longing that these people might have had at that time, they had it. Do we have that same level of longing? A prayer we might even ask, God, I don't have that longing. Would you give me this longing that this guy seems to be talking about? Or maybe we could think back, there was that time, I remember that time when this was going on and I did have that longing. And God would give that to us as well. 
So how do we develop that love for God? How do we make that space His? The, the, the best thing I can think of right now might be the time. In the back of these old atlases, before GPS, and I remember sitting in the back of my parents' station wagon on the trip to Nebraska to visit Grandma, you'd flip to the back and it would tell you how long it might take to get somewhere. And it didn't have roads on there, it just had the little lines. So from like Minneapolis to Lamar's, Iowa, or something like that, all right? It would, you'd find out how far it was going to take, and you could sort of guess. It wasn't exact, you knew there might be a this or that, or whatever, that might take you off the path. But it takes time to travel from Wisconsin to Nebraska. It takes time to go from your house over the river and through the woods to grandma's. It takes time to put God into our hearts. It takes time for that to happen. And the only thing I can figure is if we would like to see God become this longing that we've talked about, he, he does something in us. What God does is as we seek and try to know God's will, as we try to know God's word, many times as we seek it, he gives us even more of a desire to know him even more. We dig in a little bit, and it's like, ooh, that, that was good. Maybe I could take a little bit more. Now, I am not here today to put a guilt trip on you. And if you're not reading God's word or into God's word, I'm not here to say, man, you're, you know, you're bad. That's not what I, I, I want to give you this gift. One of the ways you might do it, uh, if you have a, a smartphone, they have, they have apps now. You can, you can actually read God's word or have, uh, rather, have God's word read to you. Maybe you don't have time to read God's word. I, I'd rather have you start badly and do it not so well, but start than to not have it at all. And so reading God's word could be something that we even start incorporating. You know, on my, my drive-in, I can, you know, in the, you know, students, in the study hall, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take five minutes, I'm going to listen to something today. Put the earbuds in and listen to it. There's something that can happen when we do that. We can start listening to God's word. At the end of this little section in Psalm 84, there's this word, Selah. We don't know exactly what that word means. That's why it's not translated into an English word, because we don't know for sure what Selah means. But it's definitely a break in the passage. Some people think, and I think it, this makes sense, it's, it means to maybe lift up, but it's definitely a pause in the action. It's where we stop and we think about what we just learned. This time it would be good to pause and think, man, where is God? Is He in my heart? This longing that it describes here, do I have that longing? So we're, we're going to press pause, we're going to say, Selah, we're going to lift up, what am I thinking about, what am I doing? The journey is not done. We've not arrived yet. But we can say God is good. And he could have joined in with our hearts in so many different, or joined into our lives in so many different ways, but we don't have to go to the temple anymore. We don't have to go to a tabernacle. We don't have to find a high priest. He is right in our hearts right here. We can praise God for that today. That's a good thing. There's a transition, though, in this Psalm 84, and it, it's a transition in this, in this message as we go through this passage, as we go through the, our journey, with our Bible along to guide us, 
we descend into a challenge. And the next word in the, in the outline there is the journey. The journey. Starting with verse 5, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Selah. The psalm transitions into where life is taking us. We know God might be in our hearts, but now he's going to take us in a new, new route. We're veering off the intended course. For some of us, it might seem like we are no longer even on the map. We are off the map. Now, it, it would be nice if, if our journey with God looked a little bit more like the light rail that they have in the Twin Cities. You hop on it at Mall of America and zip, you arrive at you know, U.S. Bank Stadium. Or, or maybe um, an airplane, you hop on at Seaway and all of a sudden you're in the Twin Cities. It's amazing. Or like if you're a Harry Potter fan, little flu powder, you hop in the chimney and poof, you're right where you want to be. How does that work? I don't know. But it, it's in the book, so I guess. That's not how it usually works, though, is it? Does your life, maybe your life works that most everybody that I know, it doesn't work that way. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. There's a highway, a well-marked road to God's house. And this person has put their heart in place with God. And we're pulling other things out and God becomes our focus. But sometimes opportunities are given to us to align with him. And this highway takes us into the valley of Baca. This place is also translated in other Bibles as the valley of tears or even a greater degree, the valley of weeping. Have you ever been in that valley? This valley that's so dark and wretched, there's weeping going on. I don't really like that valley. I avoid that valley. But sometimes we end up in that valley, and it's the only place that we, it was just where we are. On that same trip to Nebraska, I took a pause, I took a side to Abbott Northwestern Hospital and visited my friend Dan. Dan Sturkin and I started in ministry in this area at about the same time. We are about the same age. Our kids are about the same age. We did a lot of cool ministry things together. We uh, went to Four Springs. We did outreaches, things like Revive, before Revive, we did stuff like that. And in 2012, he went to the Twin Cities to be a missionary to the international students at the University of Minnesota. And then about a year and a half ago, he was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. It spread far beyond his colon. I sensed time was short, so I went and visited him. Last Thursday, I did this. He was seeing the doctor when I arrived, so they asked me to go to the waiting room. And I waited for, they said 5 to 10 minutes. Well, it stretched in 15, 30. If you, these doctors are in a different time frame. And... Finally, after an hour and a half, they let me in. So here's this man who loves the gospel, 
He loves his family. And God was in that room that day. We talked a little bit about things, about his daughter's concert that he got to hear on a cell phone, um, about his son and what he was doing. And I, I could no longer, I, I just, I couldn't stop. I started crying because it was so, it was really bad. It was really bad. So I walked over and on the board in the room, the, his wife's number, I didn't have his wife's phone number, so I wrote down the cell phone number for his wife to, to try to get my composure. Can I just say, Dan is the kind of guy that you want for your friend. He's the guy you want for your pastor. He's a great missionary. He's, a, he's exactly who Lauren and Abby and Titus, his children, he's exactly the person they need for a dad. And we need more, can we just all agree, we need more Dan Sturkins around. And that is not what's happening in his life today. And I was really sad. I still get sad when I think about Dan. I'm sad when, I, I, I don't share this to, I, I'm just telling you, I am not very good at this valley of weeping thing. It's not where I like to go. But we've been there. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. You're thinking about your valley. You think of this and you're like, I don't like this valley I've never been to the Valley of Baca, literally, that, that place. I've never been there. But I've been to this valley where weeping is like the only thing you can do. I, I took Dan's hand because that's what you should do, right? You should, like in that moment, you, you take your friend's hand and you pray with them. And I was sad. And I, I just, eventually, I just, I got up out of the room and I, I started walking and I, I just completely lost my composure then I just couldn't and I was weeping I was sad and I is a it's a chemo cancer wing of this hospital and I I I I feel terrible about it I bumped into this not very young lady that was just taking a walk and I almost knocked her over and I said I'm I'm sorry but I just kept on walking because I didn't is is sad it is really sad it's the only thing I could do There's a lady named Barb Johnson. She wrote once, We are Easter people, but we live in a Good Friday world. And that made a lot of sense to me that day. Jesus on Good Friday, he suffered and died and he was gone. And for two days, can you imagine how long those two days must have meant for those guys? For two days, Nothing looked good. For some of us, it probably feels like weeks or months or years and we're still waiting for our Easter to come for us. Can I just say, I, I was just thinking, I, if anybody would have told me at that moment that all things work together for good, now that's true, that's true. That's absolutely true. But if anybody would have told me that, I would have said, I don't want to talk to you about your little verse right now. I just don't. So a family member dies. A family member gets sick. Cancer. Children 
go through wrong patches. Uh, I uh, was talking to someone this last week about how their, the family farm was lost to a, to a gambling machine in a bar. It's terrible. It's it, like a, you remember those x-ray aprons they used to give you at the dental office? You wear that and you're like, it's just, it's just heavy. And it weighs on us. It's, life is not the same. But maybe there's something, maybe there's something beautiful in this moment of well. It goes from this valley of weeping to something else. So I'm going to give you two truths I would invite you to hang on to this morning. On this journey, we're told we will descend into valleys. The verse says, as they go through the valley of Baca, as they go, as these people who believe in God go into this valley, Maybe the Sturkin family is going through that right now. Can we all agree that life, that's one truth. One truth is this valley is happening, it's coming. And it feels nearly impossible. But it's not futile. And our God is a God of the impossible. And I'll take nearly impossible over futile any day of the week. He is the one that can somehow make something good out of these things. Impossible is where he's at. Read verse 6 with me, if you would. I lost my page. Um, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. In that moment, maybe we don't have the words. I don't think I needed to say much to Dan in those moments. Maybe reading the psalm was enough. But presence was good. But in that moment, also something beautiful could happen. We're told that there's more to this life. In Isaiah chapter 25, we're told that God himself will personally wipe away every tear. That's something I hang on to. In that hospital room that day, something just changed a little bit. Cancer is awful. Separation is painful. But I know my Jesus can do some things with those moments that no one else can. No no physician, no doctor, no whatever can do. If you ever are in that room, it's painful and there's weeping. But it's also where these pools of refreshment come from it talks about how as you go through this desert you go through this bad place these he he changes that into these pools of refreshing he fills up these hollow spots in the desert and these streams of refreshing somehow happen there's something interesting about rain what does rain do rain um It smells like something. It makes maybe the air, you can smell the air. You can't always smell air, but when the rain's there, you can smell it. Uh, You can smell the earth maybe. It can be messy. You track in things when it starts raining. But in the dry desert, when you're walking through those dry moments, those valleys, those hollowed out spots become where God's, maybe even those tears fill in and it can refresh these people can refresh us. 
If you're ever in that place, I would invite you to, to hold the hand of that person that you're with. I think it's okay to weep. I think it's okay to cry. And remind us that God has this way of restoring that no one else can. This world is not all there is. We remind ourselves of that because sometimes that's all we have. At this point, there's another Selah. I like to think it's lift up. It's definitely a pause, it's a break. We lift up because this is who God is. He takes even these worst things and he makes something different out of it. If you are in that moment, you know that only God can help us do that. And the best part of this book is this destination. Our destination, this is the last line in the, in the psalm. Psalm 84 says this. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. In Psalm 84, we're told that it was written by the sons of Korah. So who is Korah? Korah was a man that was told by God he was going to be in charge of certain things in the tabernacle. So way back when, there was a tribe of Levites. The Levites were given uh, the duty of of making the temple, the tabernacle, go from place to place. And so there's different Levites, had different jobs, and some of them could put it in carts and carry it that way. But the sons of, or actually Korah, was given the duty of carrying the actual altar, these special things, and they would have to carry them on their shoulders. So it was a much more difficult uh, process. They had to wrap it in their, their things, and then they'd carry it on their shoulders. So they couldn't put it in carts, they had to carry it. At one point, Korah said, nah, this is no good. Moses, Aaron, you're putting yourself above us. This is not what we want. This is not what should happen. So, we're going to do it differently. I'm not going to do that anymore. You're going to have to find somebody else. You're not above us. And Moses said, wait, you can't have it that way. You stay by your tent. God's going to decide between you and us how this is all going to go down. So this, Korah and his family stood by their tents. Moses stood over here in, a, in a, an amazing event and really tragic. The ground opens up underneath Korah and his tent and all his people fall into the ground. They were living, if you will, in these, these bad tents, the tents of the wicked. If you read Numbers 16, uh, 17, and 18, you can read about that account. But we're also told in Numbers 26, verse 11, that the sons of Korah, for whatever reason, maybe they were too young, maybe they looked on it differently, we're not sure exactly why, but the sons of Korah were spared in that moment. And they chose to go a different way. They chose to live a different way. They chose to continue to carry those items. They chose to live in the way that they were called to. They knew what it was like to serve in the very altar, you know, carry the very things of God, and their heritage came from a place where 
people chose to live in tents of wickedness. Take it from someone that knows. Psalm 84 tells you what it was like to have both, to be in the tents of wickedness and also in the very sanctuary, the very place of God. These people knew both. And they said, better is just one, if you can have just one day, just one day in this house of God, that's better than a thousand days somewhere else. And that's what, that's what he wants for his people. Later on, we're told that, well, we're not told, it's the truth. Samuel, one of the greatest judges and one of the great priests of Israel, was a son of Korah. If you look carefully in the notes before the Psalms, there's many Psalms written by the sons of Korah. Our family heritage does not dictate where we might go. Our history and past choices do not have to determine what happens next. Our children and the people after us might be able to go a different way if we set this different course. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. There's one last verse I'd like us to look at today. It ends in Psalm 84. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. We're going to take communion just right now. And I think we actually have the worship team. The worship team can come up. We're going to sing a couple more tunes. As we're getting ready to take communion, maybe some things that Psalm 84 says might ref- might speak to you this morning about where your heart is, is the longing in your heart. Maybe you want to talk with God about developing that longing or having that happen. Perhaps this valley of Baca, this valley of weeping is going on. Maybe he'll speak into your life about that. Finally, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. That might be where he might speak. I invite you to reflect on those things before we take communion this morning.